Okay. Om Ajnana Gyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurubi Namaha Siddhantot Palasadanityarasikam Hangsang Vilasatmakam Audaryakya Sudhama Sevakatanam Vishram Bhakti Pradam Yatya Yukti Vijakshanam Tvagavido Vaisheshta Shaktyasada Vandeham Tripurari Namakayatim Shri Bhakti Vedantinam Anandalila Maya Vigrahaya Hemabha Divyachavisundaraya Tasmai Mahaprima Rasapradaya Chaitanya Chandraya Namo Namaste Anarpita Charin Chirat Karunayavatirna Kalo Samarpayetum munnato jalarasam svapakti shriyam Haripurata sundara diuti kadamba sandipita Sadahridaya kandaris purutuva shachinandana He Krishna karuna sindho dina bandho jagatpate Gopesha gopika kantaradha kantanamostute Tapta kanchana gaurangi radhe vrindavanishuri Prishapanu Sute Devi Pranamami Hari Priye. Welcome everyone to the final installment of our discussion of Madhavendra Puri and the qualities of the devotee. Chitta. And we come. Yeah. Uh, in case he comes on, can we interrupt you and, and ask you to make him the host, <laughs> make him the interpreter? Sure, of course. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so, so we've covered a fair bit of territory and um, last, last session, we went through a fair few of the qualities and with some of, I expanded on some of them with um, some thoughts that I'd had when I was meditating on them. And so we're going to continue with that. And I'm pretty sure where we ended up was we ended up with uh, that the devotee is always engaged in beneficial welfare work for all. Pretty sure that's where we ended up. Um, so the next one on the list is that the devotee is calm. And that's similar to being the earlier quality that we heard of being equipoised, slightly different. Um, at least I think of it as slightly different uh, that one who's situated in Krishna consciousness doesn't become disturbed or react emotionally to changing material conditions. So they're essentially, they're, they're not an excitable person. They don't, they don't fly off the handle for small things or even generally big things they they are, keep themselves pretty well under control undisturbed in the face of adversity and whatnot and now we come in the list to moving on we come in the list to the 
Swarup Lakshan of the devotee, surrendered solely to Krishna. So this one you could give a whole uh, series on. And in fact, uh, Maharaj did in fact do that. It's a series on surrender itself and the, the six limbs of surrender, which of course I'm not going to do right now, but um, suffice to say that being surrendered solely to Krishna means a couple of things at, at the root, that one does not have faith in material nature, that, 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 that you can gain um, happiness of any substantial type by being engrossed in matter. And neither does one have faith in other gods. In fact, we hear that it's a, a nama parad to worship other gods. Now one may respect the other gods, of course, as we should. I mean, if you're gonna, the, the devotees respect all jivas and the other gods or demigods are jivas, most of them most of the time, but uh, but we don't go to them for the, mm, we don't look to them for our ultimate goal of life because we know they can't deliver that. So as we know, I mean, Madhavendrapuri's activities all arose out of his surrender to Krishna and it takes different forms depending on how the, how the Surup Shakti is, is influencing that devotee. And um, this is an interesting point that when one is fully surrendered to Krishna, they are, he or she is fully under the influence of the Surup Shakti. And there's a really nice verse in the Govindali Lamrita, where Kaviraj Goswami says that the Leela of Krishna gives inexhaustible relish, even if it is consumed again and again, nourishing even the body. And I remember the first time I read that, I thought that was quite interesting, that, that last phrase, nourishing even the body, because then that kind of gives you a way of making sense of some of the extraordinary things that the devotees we see that they do like Prabhupada in his old age do these amazing physical feats traveling around the world despite having had heart attacks and whatnot or staying up getting very little sleep and yet managing to be sharp and lucid and be able to speak clearly and not be in brain fog from lack of sleep or anything that somehow they're getting a energized from another source and um and i think that comes from the quality of uh, krishna who he's bhagavan and so he is bha the bharta the nourisher so he nourishes and maintains his devotees and how he does that is through his surup shakti and so and this is also how uh, Madhavendra Puri could eat once a day, or the Goswamis could, you know, eat hardly anything. Like uh, we hear the description of the Goswamis and their just otherworldly renunciation, like Raghunath Das in his later years would eat 
his, a palm full of buttermilk a day or, you know, a couple of chickpeas or you know, we hear Sanatan Prabhu eating chickpeas or, <laughs> or chapati. That, that's, it's like, where are they getting the energy to stay up all night and chant and do the other limbs of bhakti? Um, or like circumambulate Govardhan or, you know, it's like, if we don't eat, <laughs> I know if I don't, if I don't eat, I, I'm not going to go walking around Govardhan, um, at least not very happily. So they're obviously getting their energy from somewhere else and directly from Krishna. So they're, you can see that if a person is surrendered to Krishna and they're doing these types of things, that they're, they're a, a, a live wire, they're plugged into uh, the source in a, in a very substantial way. And that manifests in their lives and in an extraordinary way that, that ordinary people just can't. Yeah. I'm sorry, Prabhu. Can, yeah. I'm sorry. Can you give me a traduction? Is I had problems here, but I think I I now have connection. Okay. Glad to see you made it. Uh, where are you on the list? Okay. Hold on here. Okay, is that working? Please also allow Govinda Dasi to record. Mm. Looks like we lost him. Oh, he's back. Here we go. Okay. So. Get my notes back here. All right. So the, this this um, this otherworldly, just insane. Well, let me check this message here and make sure we're good. Okay, good. This this otherworldly renunciation that we see in these high devotees like the Goswamis or like Madhavendra Puri, as I mentioned in earlier in the series, I was. Uh, Vishnu Maharaj told us in the early, early days when I first joined, you know, we're not, this is, this renunciation of the Goswamis is not to be imitated. It's because they are Nitya Siddhas and they've got that kind of uh, empowerment from Krishna that they can do these things. But um, you know, even those who aren't, even Sadhana Siddhas do the, like Bhakti Vinod, you know, he had a job, he had a huge family and he would go to his job and he was extremely efficient at his job. And then he would go home and stay up half the night writing or doing bhajan. And then somehow he's able to get up and do it all again every day. And, or, you know, or Prabhupada or Bhakti Sananta, <clears throat> excuse me, any of these people who are, or 
extremely focused on bhakti and energized by bhakti um, they can do amazing things just things that just boggle your mind so that's something to look forward to as we become more under the influence of the surup shakti <laughs> um, so yes surrendered solely to krishna that is the the quality from which all these other 25 arise so moving on the devotees without desire now of course that doesn't literally mean without desires of any kind it means having no material desire in the same in the same vein as or in the same way that it is said that uh, when the shastra says that god has no form well we don't literally mean he has no form at all because there's other statements that say he has form it means he has no material form so the devotee is not without desires at all it means they have no desire for material things no separate interests as Bhakti Rakshashri Maharaj puts it put it and he desires the, the, the desire is only to please Krishna. That's the only desire they have. And the, of course, the desire to attain a specific service and whatnot on the higher end. But in the, on the basic Sharanagati level, the only desire that exists in the devotee is to please Krishna somehow, please Guru and Krishna. And that um, makes them the next quality indifferent. <laughs> They're not attracted by the material nature it's not that that he or she doesn't care about things in in life <clears throat> excuse me it's not that they're indifferent to everything they're indifferent to the allurements of the mind to you know do this or that or the allurements of matter they're, they they perceive these things and yet they're not drawn into them they're just like okay you're there whatever and they go forward with what they're doing. <clears throat> and then the next one is in control of the lower six qualities. So the six enemies of the mind, they're, they're termed as enemies, lust, anger, greed, illusion, pride, and envy. We'll go into these a little bit. I think it's interesting to see how this, how they work. So the first one is lust. And <clears throat> Bhaktivinoda Thakur wrote a really uh, nice article for his Sajantoshini called Ripu, which just means the enemy. And he says, when we say lust, it is understood to be asat trishna, the thirst for material things. The jiva that is charmed by maya seeks knowledge, intelligence, wealth, respect, celestial pleasures, liberation, etc. All this is lust. So as you can see, the, the normal or the, the, the common definition of lust as being just carnal desire is greatly expanded here by Bhaktivinoda and basically it covers everything. <laughs> so the desire for uh, one's own enjoyment separate from Krishna, separate interest, again, um, that's lust. So that's a big one. 
anger. So the devotee doesn't get angry unnecessarily. And of course, Narottam Thakur talks about how the devotee will use one's anger to, in the in the uh, when when the devotees are being uh, how does he say it when the devotees are being uh, attacked or whatever something like that by materialists, then one will use one's anger to protect the devotees. But in general. Um, there's no one to be angry at because the devotee sees no one as an enemy. And so they transcend anger. I mean, if you don't see anyone as an enemy, if everyone's your friend, if you're seeing, as Sridhar Maharaj put it, the environment as being friendly and everything is, is coming into your experience to purify you and to, to improve you, then there's no need to be angry about it. And in terms of other jivas, who might be giving us trouble. Well, the devotee sees that we all have a common source and we are made of a common essence. And so they transcend anger in that way as well. Um, that's also, you know, something to look forward to. Uh, greed. So the devotee recognizes that taking more than one needs is disharmonious with the whole and um and in a material sense uh it's a greed is a a lack of recognition that we live on a finite planet and there are only in in a real very real sense there are limited resources and so to take more than one actually needs means someone else somewhere along the line is going to have less than they need. And uh, this could of course be a, uh, turned into a huge uh, environmental discussion, which it won't, um, but it could just based on this one, this one thing we see greed is um, this one negative quality of the, the human mind is responsible for suffering. Devotees who are fully surrendered to Krishna, having that um, very peacefully and harmoniously with others and in the world. Okay. Um, And then the next one, next quality, or the next, uh, the next, <laughs> the next lower six qualities that the devotee is in control of is illusion. So this means the nature that they're not in illusion about the nature of their self. They know they are realized as an atma, and they know the nature. They're not in illusion about the nature of the world either. They know what the world is. That it is Krishna's Maya Shakti, and they know that the Maya Shakti they perceive this directly that the maya shakti has the power to bewilder the atma and to cover the atma these two different aspects of the maya shakti and they also know that the nature of the self's source and they've been illuminated through uh, sangha and shastra and so all these illusions that 
a conditioned soul has, they've all been destroyed and overcome by the devotee. And so they're, they see things clearly for what they are. And as a consequence, they're not chasing after ephemeral pleasures or anything like that. They, they know what is real. And the next one in that, in this list is pride. So the devotee no longer regards her or himself as the center. And so they don't regard their achievements, what they do as special, you know, they don't puff themselves up, see what I've done, just see. They don't, they don't have a sense of material ego that needs to be bolstered by the approval of others. And so, and they don't, they don't uh, strut and preen and whatnot. They're, they're, they're humble by nature. And so pride is like a, a foreign thing to them. And the final one, uh, the final of the six enemies of the mind that the devotee is uh, in control of is envy. So due to the devotee's natural humility, and also as we'll hear later on, their, their natural, their, their, uh, their expertise, they're not threatened by the excellence of others. So envy is generally, uh, or one definition of envy is resentful longing. So you want what somebody has and there's resentment is uh, another form of anger. So it's like there's this uh, hateful longing for a quality or something that another person has, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, a, a possession or a quality or their luck or their good looks or whatever it may be. The Vaishnav sees that, that to desire such things is foolishness, it's, to put it bluntly. And they also recognize that envy, like anger, it doesn't hurt the person that it's directed toward, it hurts oneself. And so um, they don't indulge in that because it's, it's just, it's a very unbecoming quality uh, of, the, of the unenlightened mind and so one can know that if the degree to which one has um, not conquered these six then you know that you're still a Vaishnava in becoming and maybe not a fully surrendered Vaishnava yet so moving forward with the qualities of the Vaishnava so the Vaishnava uh, in the list is an interesting one that that it would be there and this uh, it, it, it's related to a number of the others and being uh, grateful and modest and whatnot. They, the, the Vaishnava eats only as required. And it's a very interesting one because obviously everyone has to eat. And again, they recognize that, well, they're not greedy. They recognize that food is sacred. It's a gift from God, right? I mean, there's so many factors that go into the production of food and they're mindful, the, the devotee is mindful of that and they don't waste anything. I mean, uh, there's a very, there's a statistic, a disturbing statistic that in the United States, 
30% of the food that is produced is wasted. 30%, that's almost a fully a third. That's insane. Uh, so Vaishnavs, they recognize that this stuff is, they don't take it for granted. They don't take anything for granted. Um, and the Vaishnavas, uh, they recognize that everything in the material world comes with a cost, at a cost. It takes energy to produce everything and every movement uh, generates some reaction in the environment. And so that's where the, the that's why the, the principle of Prasad is so important because um, by seeing the devotee sees everything as Krishna's mercy and that we're all, we're just living on Krishna's mercy directly or indirectly, really, whether we recognize it or not. I mean, so the, the conditioned soul does not recognize that everything is God's energy. Everything comes from God, whether directly or indirectly. Sure. There may be uh, a lot of human intervention in between, you know, food doesn't generally just grow by itself you know it takes some human effort but you know humans don't create the rain and they don't create the conditions for the growth of the food they don't create the seed they don't create <clears throat> excuse me they don't create the ability of the seed to grow <laughs> this this mysterious thing called life you put a seed in the ground and you water it and <laughs> food of a, 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 a plant can grow that you can eat comes out of that that's like amazing that's all god's shakti and so the, the, the devotee recognizes that this is a sacred thing this is a extraordinary thing even though it's like the most basic thing that we all do we can't survive for many many days without food and in madhavendra puri's case as we heard um he did not eat during the day and he only took some milk after the gopal deity was put to rest um, and that's for him, for a renunciate like him, that's all he required apparently. And as we heard, he was getting his, his real energy. He, he was living on Krishna's Surab Shakti being internally energized. And so apparently he didn't need to eat a whole lot physically in order to maintain his body. And again, uh, as I mentioned, uh, in the first lecture of the series, his his regard for Krishna Prasad was so uh, intense that he even broke the pot that the sweet rice came in and kept bound it in his cloth and then ate a piece of it every day. And that is super extraordinary. Um, so talk about not wasting anything. I mean, even the pot. I mean, it's like if you go to India um, on certain places along the Parakrama path, you'll see like where there, I recall there was a tea wallows or whatever. So they have these small uh, clay pots that they drink from and there's just, so they drink their drink and then they just smash a thing on the ground. And, you know, of course that, that clay will just go back into the soil. And so in that sense, it's not like polluting or anything, but it's still, it's like Madhavendra Puri wouldn't even do that. <laughs> so that's a pretty extreme form of that, but point being, the devotees, they don't waste food because they recognize that it is a very precious commodity.
And the next quality is that the devotee is attentive. And in Buddhism, they call this mindfulness. So, and in bhakti is a form of yoga. And so the sadhaka, they cultivate the attention. It's like, you can't, you're not gonna get the results um, of, of practice through inattentive practice. In fact, uh, Guru Maharaj hasn't really, I haven't heard him say it like this um, in some years, but in the, when I first joined him and whenever someone would ask him or he would, he would just consistently uh, emphasize attentive chanting, that word, attentive chanting, chanting attentively, you know, ask him, how do we make progress in bhakti? Attentive chanting, chanting attentively. And, and that, um, that one quality is really central to everything we do. In fact, uh, our attention is our currency as living beings. And we see this in our modern world um, because in, in the sense that, uh, well, as we know from, from what the social media companies are doing, that we are basically uh, being farmed for our attention. <laughs> uh, it, it, attention has become a commodity in the modern world, in the digital age, in the information age. And uh, people are, uh, businesses and whatnot are vying for our attention. If they can get our attention, then they've, they can somehow profit on that. <laughs> which is uh, boggles my mind. But in any case, uh, attention is the central factor in, in the successful, uh, successfully uh, performing any act. I mean, if you, in, in Stoicism, they say, what, will you do it better by inattention? <laughs> no, you will not. Uh, so, and since one, since the Vaishnava recognizes that attention is our true currency, they also they they spend it wisely. They they don't they don't uh, waste it, and they seek to uh, um, cultivate it and invest it invest it in in things that are going to give a uh, a good return. So, if we invest our attention over time in ephemeral things, well, then that uh, our, our investment will be lost. If we invest our attention in bhakti, in Sri Nam Prabhu, and in service to the Vaishnavas and the Guru, then the return on our investment will be infinite. <laughs> so there's a pretty big contrast there. And the Vaishnav sees every situation as sadhana. So an opportunity to further refine and improve the attention and, and to use the attention for something meaningful. And the next quality is respectful. So this, this, uh, this is a natural, a natural outgrowth of, of being a, a soft-hearted person uh, and being a, 
having some sense of what the jiva is. They're Krishna's tatasta shakti, like oneself, you know. So, um, and seeing that Krishna is within every other living being, Krishna is everywhere. Having that realization, and the Vaishnava is highly respectful of other living beings and everything inanimate in, as well, but especially other living beings, because they are, as Prabhupada used the phrase, uh, part and parcel of Krishna. Um, so seeing like, like, uh, even, even the material world becomes worshipable in a sense when one recognizes that it's Krishna's energy, right? It's connected directly to Krishna. And yes, one should have a healthy fear of the Maya Shakti and whatnot in, in terms of what she can do in terms of bewildering, bewildering us and distracting us and whatnot. But for the devotee who has overcome that, then, then they walk around like, uh, in fact, there's some beautiful prayers um, and uh, I remember in the deity manual, uh, the certain prayers of uh, getting up in the morning and praying Mother Earth for forgiveness that you have to step on her. Um, that's respectful, just recognizing that that we are actually, as a jiva, are very insignificant. And, and the natural tendency of the Vaishnava is to give others this respect, as we hear in the third verse of the Shikshastakam. And this also, this ties into the next quality, never expecting honor. So the Vaishnava has recognized that Krishna is the true center. They've, they've abandoned Pratishta, the desire for recognition, and, and they've embraced humility to such a degree that um, the idea of, of others honoring them is distasteful. They, they, they run from that. As we hear, Madhavendra Puri was in the marketplace in Raymuna after having left the temple because he thought he had committed some aparad by desiring to uh, taste the sweet rice so that he could make it for his Gopal deity. <laughs> he didn't actually commit aparad, but he thought that way because of his natural humility. And when he was in the marketplace and the pujari from the temple came and found him, he gave him the sweet rice he realized that, well, word of this is going to get around. And when it does, people are going to come looking for me because they're going to realize my position and they're going to, they're going to, they're going to want my attention. They're going to want my blessings and all this. And they're going to, they're going to want to give me uh, honor for being a great devotee and all of that. And he could not tolerate that. And so he left in the middle of the night before the market could open and before anybody could find him. <laughs> So that, that's a very, uh, it's a beautiful example of that. And the next quality is sober. So this, this quality, dhira, sober, um, means a number of things. If you read uh, Bhakti Vinod Thakur's uh, Bhakti Alok, which is a, a commentary on uh, um, the Upadeshamrita verses describing the six qualities that destroy bhakti and the six qualities that are favorable to the cultivate bhakti. Um, so um, 
he goes on at length about being jira, sober. So in general, it means that the, the devotees don't engage in meaningless talk or behavior. You know, their, their sobriety means that you see things clearly. In other words, being sober as opposed to being intoxicated. So if one is no longer materially intoxicated, then one sees things clearly as they are. And so they're not wasting their time in meaningless things that don't, as I mentioned earlier, that they, they don't return uh, a why that they don't return a, a, a positive result on their attention. And so um, they, they're, um, they're very careful to not waste their time because of that, that seeing things clearly and they, and they're, they're grave, you know, they, they don't, um, and that sober is also like, you know, you're, you're, uh, calm, uh, externally, you know, you, you keep, keep your, your energy, uh, more inwardly focused. And the next quality is compassionate. So the devotees are naturally soft hearted and bhakti softens the heart. And there are statements in the Shastra that said that, uh, what use is your practice? Are you, if, if you're, if through your practice, your heart has not been softened, you've wasted your time. So the devotee naturally has a soft heart and they, uh, they can't tolerate to see the suffering of other living beings. And so they, they seek to uh, reduce their suffering somehow. And as I mentioned uh, earlier in the series, they do this through Krishna Kata. That's the main way. They, they, they see that other living beings are suffering. And their main, the form of compassion that that mainly takes is not necessarily in feeding them or building hospitals or doing other types of uh, material welfare work, they may, and there's nothing wrong with doing those things, but that's, um, that's not their focus. Their focus is to deal with the disease of the heart disease of, of uh, ignorance, avidya. And by doing so, in order to do that, to cut the root of that avidya, then they, the medicine is Krishna Kata and distributing Srinam and the teachings of Sri Krishna. And so that's the, the form that the compassion of the Vaishnav takes. And, and if you've ever been around uh, uh, a Vaishnav who is uh, you know, truly a, a, a realized Vaishnav, that their compassion may not always look uh, particularly soft, even or <laughs> in other words, they're soft-hearted, but it sometimes can look um, um, they can look a bit indifferent. They can look a bit like, or they by by material standards, they don't necessarily look soft-hearted in the sense that they're not going and you know uh, uh, they're not they're not going around and oh you've you know you you fell off your bike let me you know let me uh let me wash your knee for you it's like their their compassion is on a, on a, a much 
more subtle and higher plane. Um, and, and then in that regard, it can be easily misunderstood by people who only interpret compassion to be um, tending to the material needs of the body and whatnot, or the emotional needs. Like uh, the Vaishnavas generally, they're not, their job is uh, not necessarily to, um, let's just say they may not be uh, very adept at uh, uh how to say um emotional support or whatever that's not their focus their focus is on giving the solution to the problem of material life and so that that compassion can as i said it it, it takes the form mainly of teaching others about who they are what the world is and you know, giving that sambanda gyan you know, it's like, don't be an illusion about what you are. You know, you think you're this, you're suffering because you think you're something other than what you are. You think you're a being destined to die and there is no death and all of that. So there, and that can, if for those who are, who are fully engrossed in the material conception of life, that type of, um, that type of advice can be, painful even it's like no they don't people who are fully engrossed in material life and who who are attached to it they like it <laughs> and so they don't want to be here in that so that compassion can sting it can, it can be it can can be a little bit painful at first um but it's kind of like well you know medicine can be bitter sometimes and so um just like a wise parent will give the medicine to the child regardless of whether the child balks at it or doesn't want to take it they give it to them anyway and force them if they need to so that they because they know that you need this so that compassion can drive the Vaishnava to do things that by material standards may appear a little bit um unkind in fact there's a there's a a song from the 60s where you've got to be cruel to be kind in the right measure <laughs> And so related to that is the devotees are the next quality friendly. And so, but this, again, this can also be easily misinterpreted because a friend, a true friend is not someone who just tells us whatever we want to hear or is, um, they, a friend is who, in, someone who intends only good for us. And so again, that can sometimes take the form of that their kindness their friendliness can sometimes take the form of telling us things we don't want to hear so that we can improve telling us you know you're making a big mistake or in my opinion you're you know you're being stupid here or you're doing this or you're doing that and this is not not wise they'll they'll a friend will point out our mistakes for our improvement and and because it, it pains them to see that we could be going down a road that will be um, just increase our suffering. And so they may, they may, they may point these things out to us and that's, that's being a true friend. Whereas people who only tell us what we want to hear, well, that's, that's a, not a great friend. <laughs> um, 
And as I pointed out earlier, they never think in terms of friends and enemies because they see all beings in terms of being jivas. And so in a sense, they're, they're friends to everyone because it's like, well, everybody's a living entity and of course you're going to be they're, they're We're of the same essence. And so how would you be, how would you be unkind to another being who is exactly like us? And the next quality is poetic. So when one is in love, one sees life with the eyes of the poet. Just uh, there's this sort of sparkle to life that the poets uh, throughout life and uh, throughout time, uh, throughout history have, <clears throat> excuse me, been able to uh, articulate these certain aspects of life in a very uh, charming way. And so devotees are naturally, because they have such a, a heart saturated with love for Krishna and they're, they're deeply feeling the beauty around and within them, um, the world becomes a source of joy, Vishwam Purnam Sukhayate. And so out of that joy that the devotee is naturally uh, experiencing at every moment, then they can speak about life and about Krishna in a very charming way and use their speech, this, this very uh, fundamental, and as we heard earlier in the series, a fundamental and uh, uh, powerful quality or, or, or a, a facility of human life their speech, they can use that in a very charming way to speak about Krishna and use it in a way to use words to, to express their, some, some measure of their internal feeling for their, for the subject matter. And they do this by the next quality expert, the Daksha. Um, so the devotee has, um, high standards and i think that's a result of of recognizing that bhakti is you know the, the mahaprabhu has set extremely high standards of behavior what it means to be a devotee we look at these qualities and there that's like an extremely rare person who can who manifests all these qualities and, and that as a result of being uh empowered and or purified and empowered by bhakti devi and so the devotee has high standards for oneself and they, they have also, they put in the time and the effort to become competent in what they do. They can't tolerate being uh, half-hearted or uh, being um, uh, they, they put their full focus on things and therefore they tend to naturally be good at what they do. I mean, not, not all, not all tasks, obviously, but uh, for the most part, they're um, things that are within their, within their ability to become good at. In other words, uh, I, for example, am never going to be good at math, <laughs> no matter how hard I try, or if I did it, uh, it would take a huge amount of effort and it's just not that valuable to me, but um, Through, through paying attention, as we heard earlier, being attentive, one, one can become very competent in what one, in what 
in in one service to to Guru and Krishna, and, and so um, we hear. Uh, I mean, Madhavendra Puri was expert in his his service. I mean, he established the service of the Gopal deity, and um, you know for certain that there, when he was there, all these little details that were being that needed to be looked after. I'm sure, sure of it, because I've seen it in in Guru Maharaj how he, like, during a festival, for example, he'll come and he he go in the kitchen and he'd check on all these little details or go into the, the, the deity room and make sure all these little details are being attended to very nicely by his disciples and training us in that way to be expert because of, of his, uh, because of his intense desire to serve Krishna with the, the best possible means in, in, in the best possible way and with the best possible uh, feeling and, and uh, materially the best best material uh, ingredients the best material uh, processes and whatnot um, so naturally you can imagine that Madhavendra Puri was on top of all of that worship and making sure that the Brahmins that he had hired or that, that it had come to worship the Gaupal deity, that they were up to the standard. And again, so he had a very high standard and he found that these people, oh, they can, they can maintain the standard. And therefore then I can, now I can leave to go to Jagannath Pur to get this sandalwood, knowing that these people would maintain the standard because they also were expert in the worship. And then the final quality, number 26, is the devotee is quiet. And to me, this means that the devotee does not draw attention to oneself there. And again, uh, like, like related to so being sober, they don't speak unnecessarily. They speak only when required and then only about Krishna or topics related to his service. And conversely, then if they're if you're quiet, then that means you know how to listen. Like it is said that we have one mouth and two ears for a reason, that we should listen twice as much at least as we speak. And so devotees know how to listen very carefully especially considering that it is through hearing shrapanam that all of the other limbs of bhakti are are made possible we hear about krishna we hear about uh we hear about the qualities of the devotees we hear about the service of madhavendra puri and that inspires us to do something and in in our own lives and and cultivate these qualities we and so it's through hearing, listening, that we progress on bhakti. In fact, it's even said in the Shastra that we see through the ears, which is a curious way of thinking about it, but it's, it's true. We, we see Krishna through the ears, through hearing about him. And then gradually, gradually, at some point, if we're, we become a, a surrendered soul, then Krishna may reveal himself within the heart or or even externally to us to the eye but 
initially and for the most part we we see we learn about the world through hearing so that concludes the list of the qualities so um, as you can see, that's, uh, it's a pretty tall order to be a Vaishnav, to be surrendered solely to Krishna is not an easy thing to attain. Um, and as I mentioned, uh, you know, this list of qualities is there so that we can identify other Vaishnavs or identify who is a Vaishnav. Uh, Kaviraj Goswami says that you'll know a Vaishnav by these qualities, by their behavior. So we can we can keep this list and keep these qualities in mind when when uh, examining others for their wh where they're at uh, whether or not a person is a vaishnav and then more as i mentioned more importantly whether or not we are becoming a vaishnav by these qualities starting to manifest within us through our practice and through our surrender to shri guru to shri krishna to the to the Vaishnavs. So with that, I will conclude. And looks like we're right on time. So if there's any questions or uh, comments, we can take those now. No question, but thank you for the series. It was awesome. Good morning, Digster. Especially this class. Oh, especially this one. Okay, good to know. Well, I want to thank you. Thank you for your encouragement and thank everyone for their taking the time to listen to my presentation as I feel like I could have done so much better. But um, if, if, if the Vaishnavs have been satisfied by it, then all's good. So I wish you all a great day or night, whichever it is for you. And uh, Hare Krishna. Jai Vaishnavgana ki jai. Thank you for all. Thank you all for listening and giving me a reason to speak. <laughs>